I want you to turn with me today to three passages, brief passages. Actually, they're a part of a much larger context of passages, and we'll be unpackaging those in the next three weeks. But today, I'm going to introduce a three-Sunday series. I'll give you an overview today, and we'll come back and try to dig a little deeper in the text uh, the next two Sundays. But I want to talk to you about the gospel in seven words. And uh, the text is going to be found in three different places. We'll focus on the first one today, and then we'll do the second one next Sunday and the third one the following Sunday. But I will today give you a little bit of an overview. We'll kind of take the macro view today and then the micro view uh, next Sunday and the following Sunday. So for the next three Sundays, we'll consider the seven words of the gospel. Now here are those seven words. The first one, uh, first two are found in the 51st Psalm, Psalm 51, and uh, we're going to look at verses 2 and 7. Psalm 51 Verses 2 and 7. Here they are. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. If you mark your Bible, underline or circle the two words found in verse 2 and 7. Wash me. If you want to go ahead and fill in your blank, number one is wash me. Those are the first two words of the seven words of the gospel. Now let's go to the the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 1. And uh, I'll give context later, but let me just read verses 12 through 16. Isaiah is introducing his prophecy. It is a rebuke from the Lord to his people. And he says, when you come to appear, that is the children of Judah, when you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? That implies a carelessness about their approach to worship. He says, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. He he says the two don't go together. Iniquity and the solemn assemblies are like oil and water. They don't mix. He said, Jehovah saying to his people now, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feast. Now God's the one that gave them those feasts. They are at least outwardly following the will of God. And God says, I hate it. I hate the way you're doing what I ask you to do. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Here's Vincent's paraphrase of that last verse. Stop it. Amen? Stop it. Now, look, look in verse 16. Two words. Wash. What's the next word, church? Wash yourselves. That's the second two words of the gospel. The first two words are, wash me. It's a prayer. David's talking to God, and he's saying, God, do for me what I cannot do for myself. Wash me. The second two words of the gospel, wash yourselves. It is a call to responsibility. It is a call to accountability. He said, I'll, I'll, not, I'll not endure your passive religion anymore. If you have been washed, then you should wash yourselves. That's the second two words. Powerful words. Challenging words. Words that probably should make us tremble. Mm -hmm. And then we go to one other place. John 13, 13 and 14. The upper room is the context here. Jesus is meeting with his disciples. It'll only be a few hours when he'll be arrested and that whole scenario will take place that ends up in his crucifixion. Jesus says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. Let me just stop there. Jesus said, you call me Lord? That's right. We got those today that say Jesus never claimed to be God. Friend, if that's not a claim to deity, I don't know what is. He said, you call me Lord and you didn't make a mistake. I'm who you say I am. He said, you call me Master and Lord and you're right for so I am. If I then, if meaning if and I am, if I then the Lord and teacher washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Here's the last three words of the seven words of the gospel. See them in that verse 14. Wash one another. Wash one another. Wash me. Salvation. Wash yourselves. Sanctification. Wash one another service. You see, in these seven words, we have 
the whole spectrum of Christian experience summarized. Wash me, referring to that time when we come to him and ask him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot give ourselves a spiritual bath. That's why Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So you see, uh, the first two words are imperative and we must start there. To try to start with the second two words, wash yourselves, we can't we can't go about the sanctification that God calls us to do in terms of, of approaching and having victory over sin until first of all we have him in our life in the person of the spirit. So here is the whole spectrum. And then when he says wash one another, he's talking about our responsibility to the body of Christ and to the world at large. So let's, let's dig in. Let's, let's look as far as we can today with, with major emphasis on the first two words and then I'll, I'll just touch on the last two. We'll pick them up next week. But let's look at Psalm 51 and look at the phrase, wash me. Wash me. When I was in college back um, in the late 60s and uh, early 70s, uh, there was a, a Broadway musical that really hit New York and uh, was very popular. It was called Godspell. And it was a musical about the gospel. And uh, it gave us young theologues something to talk about, you know, a debate in class. Was that a good thing, a bad thing? What about this thing? But, but the only thing I, I remember about that whole deal was something Calvin Miller described one time. He, he said that 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 Broadway musical began this way, Godspell, with this guy coming out on stage underneath the spotlight in front of that packed out Broadway house, and he had on blue jeans and a t-shirt. And the, the, the Godspell musical, a Broadway production, began with that man in his blue jeans and t-shirt lifting his hands and crying out in that theater, I want to get washed. And Calvin Miller reminded us that that's a universal cry of the human heart. I want to get washed. I can remember as a kid in high school, I, I, the way I earned money was hauling hay. Now, boy, if you've never done that, you, you should have that experience. Everybody deserves it. And uh, you, you'd haul that old hay, and you'd get sticky, and you'd get that, all those old little bugs all over you, you know, and that sticky hay. And, 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 and when you come in, the only thing you want to do is get in a, a cold tub of water. Now, we didn't have a bathroom. You kids won't understand that. But we'd put a, a, a tub of water out and let the sun heat it. But buddy, you'd get in that thing and wash. And it felt wonderful. David, in Psalm 51, cries out, Lord, sin is killing me. The bugs of sin are 
uh, the, the stickers are sticking me and the bugs are biting me and Lord I, I feel so bad I need you to wash me but Lord my problem is my, my dirtiness is not outside I can't wash myself Lord I need you to come inside and wash me clean you, you see there are some places we can't wash ourselves right we, we can't give ourselves we can't give our heart a bath no matter how much we want to and we can make all the promises. We can rededicate our life a million times. We can walk down every church aisle in this county. We can promise God this and that. But we can't wash our heart. Several years ago, I came up to, uh, from First Baptist Winter Park, where I was pastor, I came up to Memphis to uh, preach a revival. When I left Orlando, I was sick as a horse. My wife tried to get me to go home, and I said, no, I want to go. Short, long story short, when I got up here, I really got sick. They took me to the hospital in Memphis. The emergency doctor that night ran me through a series of tests. My stomach was killing me. I had terrible pain. And he came into my room somewhere close to midnight, and he said, preacher, I've got good news and bad news. He said, the good news is you've got diverticulitis. I thought, my soul, if that's the good news. He said, the bad news is you've got a tumor in your right kidney. And he said, we're almost certain it's kidney cancer, and your kidney is probably going to have to come out. I stayed in the hospital for 15 days. They removed my right kidney. Thankfully, they got all the cancer, the kidney, the, the cancer was contained inside the kidney. It had never gotten out. I didn't even have to have chemo. And so I've been, I've been cancer-free for 14 years. Hallelujah. And the doctor said, oh, it was a providential. It was, it was an incidental finding. <laughs> he said, when we looked for the diverticulitis, we saw that. He said, it was an incidental finding. I said, no, sir. It was a providential finding. But anyway, the, you know the thing that bothered me? This is interesting to me. It just shows human nature. You know what bothered me about as bad as the surgery? I knew when I came out of that surgery that I was going to be unable to give myself a bath. And I had pastored in the Memphis area for 30 years. Every other nurse in that hospital I knew by the first name. And some of them were close friends. And I could just see some little nurse that I used to be her pastor come bopping in my room after surgery say, Brother Tommy, it's time for your bath. <laughs> that just thrilled me. <laughs> my wife will tell you, I'm, I'm kind of modest and, and, and introverted by nature. But you know that day after surgery? Brother Allen, I was hurting so badly. When that little nurse come bopping in and said, Brother Tommy, it's time for your bath. I just said, have at it. <laughs> have at it. Why? Because I was hurting. And I couldn't give myself a bath. 
and I needed a bath badly. And I said, whatever you have to do, do it. You know, I think David got to that point. You remember Psalm 51? That, that's the psalm where David is, is remembering his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And all the things that surrounded that found in 2 Samuel. And my pastor in Okinawa told me years ago, he said, I believe if we had the Hebrew manuscript from Psalm 51, it would have tear stains on it. Because David is weeping his heart out. Because he's remembering how, how he orchestrated the murder of one of his finest soldiers, Uriah, in order to cover up his own adulterous affair with Uriah's wife. Now he's feeling the sting in his conscience. He's he's feeling the guilt in his soul, you see. He's feeling all of that. And and that sin, if you're filling in your your blank, it's saturating his mind. Listen to what he says. He says uh, in in verse 3, I know my, my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You see, the video of that affair kept playing in his mind. He said, it's ever before me. He said, there's not a day passes that it just doesn't plague me. I'm feeling the deep sense of guilt. It's saturating my mind. And can I just say this, church? If we are true children of God... We don't have the luxury of ignoring our sin. Are you with me? If we are true children of God, God won't let us ignore our sin. Can a child of God sin like that? The answer is, put your head this way. Yes. Whatever the old flesh is able to do before it's saved, the old flesh hasn't changed a bit after you get saved. You can't domesticate the flesh. You can't dedicate the flesh. You can't discipline the flesh. The only thing you can do to the flesh, in fact, you can't do anything with it. The only thing you can do to the flesh is let God put it on the cross. You see, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. My dear friend, you can't crucify yourself. It's the one form of execution that cannot be self-administered. You can shoot yourself, hang yourself, jump off the bridge yourself, but you can't crucify yourself. You you know, here's the way we Baptists would do it if we crucified ourselves. First of all, we'd probably use rubber nails. (laughs) But then if we did use nails, we'd, we'd, we'd do this. We'd put that nail in that hand and we'd hit it and we'd say, hey, y'all. Come see how crucified I am. Ain't I something? I am so spiritual. No. You can't crucify yourself. Well, what you going to do with this hand? What you going to do with these feet? You can't crucify yourself. David was saying, Lord, Lord, I'm desperate. Wash me. You see, that sin was saturating his mind. It was, it was stinging his conscience. Maybe you, maybe somebody here today, you've got a video, and it just keeps playing. 
Most of us have. I, I love that prayer he prays in here. When he prays for God to, to purge his sin. In, in that same psalm, he prays for God to forgive him. He prays, and he says in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Did you see that? That, that adulterer was committed in the private confines of his own bedroom, but he said, God, you saw it. You saw it. The poet said, no, no torture, the poet's name, can match the fierce, unutterable pain. He feels which day and night, devoid of rest, carries its own accuser in his breast. That voice is called conscience. It, it saturates the mind. It stings the conscience. Thirdly, it saddens the heart. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. He said, let me hear joy again. Restore unto me, verse 12, the joy of, my, of, of your salvation. Not mine, but yours. You gave it to me. See that phrase, the bones which you have broken? Who's the you? God. I, I remember something Gothard taught me many, many years ago. In this psalm, he said, that means that there was a practice in the Middle East when you had a rebellious sheep. <laughs> and, and a sheep that just wanted to keep running off and running off and running off, getting in trouble, never staying with it. He said, the shepherd would do something drastic. The shepherd would break the sheep's leg. And then for the next weeks, the shepherd would carry the sheep while it healed. And everywhere the shepherd went, the little sheep went with him until finally the leg was broken. And when the leg healed, guess what? The little sheep wanted to stay with the shepherd everywhere he went. Can, can I say, my brother, my sister, God never breaks our bones to hurt us, but he will break our bones to help us recognize and be animated to walk in fellowship and in closeness with him. David said, wash me. It saddened his heart. He says, bring back my joy. I heard about a, a great preacher in, during the early days of Christianity when the Roman Empire was persecuting the church. And this particular preacher was just incurably joyful. <laughs> he was just filled with joy. And so they were talking, some of the Roman officials were talking about how can we, how can we get him to not be joyful? <laughs> Somebody said, well, let's just take everything from him, all of his possessions. They said, we've already done that. So that hadn't helped any. They said, well, let's just lock him up in jail. They said, well, we had him in jail. Said he's won everybody in his cell to Jesus. <laughs> One fellow said, I know what to do. Get him to sin. 
Get him to sin. You want to take that smile off his face? You want to extract that joy from his heart? Just tempt him and get him to say yes to the flesh and no to God. You want to know when Tommy Vincent is the saddest? It's when I do just that. When I say yes to the flesh, yes to the overtures of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and I say no to the sweet wooing of the Spirit of God. That makes for one sad Christian. Now, what are the implications of all of this? Well, here are just three real quickly. They're not in your outline, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. Here's, here's some implications of this psalm and this prayer, wash me. Number one, it, the implication is that brokenness over sin is a prerequisite to experiencing God's forgiveness. Without brokenness, there is no real repentance. Brokenness means that you see things clearly and you are appalled at what you see. Sin has a way of deluding us and deceiving us and deadening our conscience. You see, brokenness causes us to see things the way God sees it. And sin causes you to think that you have every right to do the things you do. Sin tells you, I deserve this. I've earned this. I need this. I can't live without this. It causes you to do things that a reasonable, normal, sensible person would never do. I've counseled I don't know how many men in the last half a century who come in my office to tell me they're leaving their wife. You know what I've found very few of them, but what justified their behavior? Living in an adulterous affair, but they had a reason. I deserve it. I deserve it. And somehow they've talked themselves into believing that sin is good for them. My dear friend, David had to come to the point where he saw his sin like God saw his sin. And he was broken in his heart over it. Brokenness. Brokenness. The second thing I see here is that all of us are flawed vessels. Will you hear me here? Look at this preacher. I'm telling you, I joined the ranks of those who are flawed. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. All of us are dirty spiritually and we need to be washed. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us. Solomon said, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have compassion. You see, to confess our sins means to agree with God about our sin. You know that word confess, 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, that's, that's the Greek word homo legeo. Homo meaning one, 
legeo meaning word. Homo legeo means to say the same thing. So when we confess our sins, it means that we say the same thing about our sin that God does. <laughs> have you ever caught yourself or been around somebody else and say, Lord, if I have sinned. Bless your sweetheart. You say, well, I just, I just can't, I just can't think of any sin. Well, think harder. Now, David is crying out, Lord, wash me. And to confess means that we have the honesty of Isaiah who said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips. To confess means that we have the honesty of Simon Peter who fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. To confess demands the honesty of the publican who smote himself on the breast and prayed, God, God be merciful to me, the sinner. It is to be... A a compatriot of Paul who declared it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am, I want to use King James here, chief. Amen? Amen. Chief. And then the third thing, implication. We can't cleanse Ourself. My dear friend, can I just say a word to you? A cup of coffee sitting over the table, just me and you. My dear friend, sometimes our own efforts at cleaning up our own life gets in the way of transparency and honesty before a holy God. What we need to do, you and me, we need to admit our inability to clean up our life, to save ourselves, to do anything good. For the Bible says, even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we just need to come to that point of saying, Lord, I can't save myself. I can't even clean up my own heart. Lord, please wash me, cleanse me, make me your child. And if we'll do that, listen to what he says. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I remember the night I was saved. Spring of my senior year in high school, I went into that service so guilt-ridden. I couldn't live up to my own standards, much less God's. I wanted to do what was right, but I failed repeatedly. On the outside looking in, you'd have said, Tommy is a good guy. He doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, he doesn't run with folks that do. But on the inside, I felt like David. 
sat out on the back seat of that church, spring of 1964. God's anointed preacher preached the gospel that night. And the Holy Spirit reached over that crowd to the back row, got a hold of my heart. Brought to me deep conviction of my sinfulness and exposed me to the fact that I couldn't wash myself. And that night, the best a 17-year-old boy knows how to do, I stepped out of that back row, walked forward, and totally and completely repented of my sins as best I could and said, Lord, do for me what only you can do. I don't remember the words I said, but I remember the heart that I had that night. But let me tell you what happened. When I totally surrendered my heart to Jesus that night, when I walked outside of that church, I felt like a clean man. I felt like a clean teenager. God had forgiven me of my sins, not because of anything I had done, but because of his mercy and his grace. You hear David? He's crying out for mercy. Look at verse 1. Have mercy upon me. That means he's asking God to withhold from him what he rightfully deserves. We deserve the wrath of God. But instead he gives us the grace of God. Because you see mercy is withholding what we do deserve. While grace is giving what we don't deserve. Amen. My dear friend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with that. We'll look at uh, the second part next week. Wash yourselves. After we've been washed, then God calls us to wash ourselves. But you see, you can't wash yourself until, first of all, you've been washed. Amen?